Ezekiel 37. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And uh, so let me give us a little recap. We're continuing our summer vacation series. And uh, we are, I think, in week five. And uh, so what we're doing, if, you've, if you haven't been with us or you've, uh, you've slept since then and you don't really remember, or you've been on vacation, uh, what we've been doing is we're just looking at some different spots in the Bible, some different locations, and kind of looking at, okay, what do these places tell us about God, and then what does that mean for us? Okay, and so just by way of really brief recap, we started week one, we were in the garden, right? That was a place where we saw uh, God provides for His people, uh, but not only does He provide and, and creates everything, uh, He gives purpose, but uh, even more than that, what we saw was that um, from the beginning, God promises, right? No sooner than Adam and Eve had, had delivered uh, all of creation into sin because of their sin and rebellion, uh, God promises to deliver. Right? In Genesis 3.15, he's just like, easy to read past it, but there's this promise that one day there's going to be uh, an offspring of the woman who's going to deliver all of humanity from bondage to sin and slavery. He's going to crush the head of the serpent, uh, defeat him forever. All right? So that was week one. And then week two, we were in uh, Mount Oreb. And what we saw there was that uh, that God redeems the call on Moses' life, right? Moses is called to deliver his people from Israel and uh, pursued that kind of apart from God's design for his life, but then God redeems that call on Moses' life. And so uh, what we saw at Mount Horeb was that God is a God who delivers, okay? And in fact, we're going to see that time and time again uh, in these places. And uh, two weeks ago, we were in Babylon. Okay? We were spent a vacation in exile, right? And uh, what we looked at there was that even though Israel had sinned and rebelled, and they, they, because of their hardness of heart, they found themselves in exile, uh, what we saw was that God, even in, their, uh, even in their sin and their rebellion, God promises to deliver. Okay? And so that's what we're going to see again uh, today, because Israelites are still in exile. But then last week, uh, if, if you weren't here, Pastor Scott just kind of gave, uh, we, we t- I think he called it a pit stop. right? We took a little pit stop last week. Pastor Scott shared his uh, kind of his heart uh, and his hopes for Valley Creek moving forward. And uh, so now we've, we've had our pit stop. We're back on the road. All right, we've got our snacks. Everybody's emptying out their bladders. Got their big gulps. Okay, we're ready to go. On to the next spot in our series, and that is the Valley of Dry Bones. So if you have your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 37, I'm going to read the first 14 verses and then we'll unpack them a little bit, all right? So, starting in verse 1, Ezekiel 37. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. And I'll put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, 
and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered him, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe, O breath, and breathe on these slain, and they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people." And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So here's what, just to set the context, all right, the people of Israel are still in exile, right? Where we left off a couple weeks ago, because of their sin, their rebellion, their hardness of heart, uh, they find themselves in exile. Remember, it was God who put them there, right? But still they find themselves in exile. And so what's happening here is Ezekiel, who's a prophet, and he speaks to God's people on behalf of God. He, he receives a vision. Okay, and the vision, uh, in the vision, Ezekiel is placed in this valley of dry bones. All right, so this is a, uh, again, it's, it's not a literal place because it's a vision. So the first three weeks we've got literal places, the garden, Mount Horeb, Babylon. Here we've got a vision from God uh, given to Ezekiel. Okay, and in this vision, um, what we see is that he puts him um, in, in this valley of dry bones. Okay, and so from that, I think there's kind of three themes or ideas I kind of want to pull out of that this morning uh, to work through uh, that, that we find here in this passage. And the first one, be encouraged. Here's the first one. It's worse than you think. All right? The first thing we see is it's worse than you think. Okay? Now, we're starting a little discouraging this morning, but I promise it's gonna, we're going we're gonna to leave on a high note. At least that's the plan. Okay? Uh, but, but what we see here is that in this vision, God places Ezekiel. First of all, it says that he set him down in the valley. Right? It's the Lord places him in this vision, sets him down. So he's already in this low posture. Right? It says, the Lord set me down in the valley. But then it also says, uh, not just in the valley, but in the middle of the valley. Right? And, and I'm not uh, a geological expert, but usually the middle of the valley is what? The lowest point. Right? So you've got Ezekiel already kind of humbled in this sort of low posture. God sets him down in the, the middle, the lowest point of the valley. But that's not all, because then we see that right, you, the, the landscape, right? not exactly an encouraging landscape, not exactly a place that, that you would uh, probably paint and hang on your wall to look at, right? It's a valley of dry bones, okay? It's not a beach. It's not a, a sunset, right? It's, not, it's, not a, it's a valley of dry bones. And then we give some, some qualifications here, right? It says that uh, there were very many on the surface. And not only were there very many bones, but it says they were very dry, so in this vision, Ezekiel's put in a low posture, the lowest point of the valley, and then it says he's surrounded by basically the symbolism of death. 
Right? There's no signs of life. The bones were very dry. So there hasn't been life here in a while. Right? And this is where Ezekiel is, is put. Okay? And, and we read that, we're like, wow, that's depressing. And you're right, it is depressing. And that's kind of the point. Right? Because what God is communicating to his people through Ezekiel right, is that apart from him, they really are hopeless. Right? Apart from God, there really is no life. Apart from God, there, there is despair. Right? So you look at this, this place where Ezekiel finds himself in this vision, and you're like, wow, that's depressing. It's meant to be because God's communicating a point to his people or will communicate a point to his people through Ezekiel. But here's where this kind of intersects with us today, right? Is that it is good for us to see and to know that, that apart from God, we really are hopeless. Right? It's good for us to feel the weight of that, that, that apart from God, we are hopeless. Right? Specifically for us, like, you know, New Testament, apart from Jesus, we are hopeless. Right? Jesus even says this in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? We are hopeless apart from God. And it's, in fact, that's like a prerequisite for salvation. Right? We, until we see the depth and the seriousness of our sin, like we will never understand our need for a Savior. Right? If we don't think we're that bad, we don't realize we need to be saved from something. Right? And so this idea that, 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 that Ezekiel is, the vision that he gets, that God communicates to Ezekiel, is one that we need to see, that, that apart from God, apart from life in Christ, we are hopeless. Right? We are a bunch of dead and dry bones. Right? This is, uh, I mean, Ephesians 2. Right? You don't have to turn there if you don't want. I'll put it on the screens. But listen, listen to these words from Ephesians 2. Paul writes this. And you were, so I'm at, in, those of us, right, apart from Jesus, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The, the point for us, before Jesus or apart from Jesus, Paul says that we were dead, we were children of wrath, and all that's apart from Jesus' work in our lives. Because we are, like Israel in the Valley of Dry Bones, we are hopeless apart from God's work in our lives. Right? Jesus didn't come to make bad people a little better, Jesus didn't come to make dirty people clean. Jesus came to make dead people alive. That's true. It was true for Israel. It's true for us. Right? So, and left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we really are as, as good as dead. Right? Like Paul says, we're, we're dead apart from, left to ourselves, we're as good as dead. But the good news is we are not left to ourselves. Right? And this is what we see in the next point. So the first point is it's worse than you think. The second point, it's not as bad as you think. All right? It's not as bad as you think. Look at verse, verse 11. 
Right, it says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Right, so the bones in this story represent Israel. Remember, they're in exile. They are, uh, because of their sin, their rebellion, their hardness of heart, they've been sort of given over to their enemies. They're, they're living in captivity. They're not in the land that God had prepared for them. And then he goes on and he says, uh, behold, they say, so this is, what, what, this is Israel's perspective. Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. All right, so what he's saying here is that from Israel's perspective, from their point of view, right, they are, they are as good as dead. Right? They're looking at their situation or their station in life. They've been in captivity uh, because of, yes, because of their choices. They've been given over to their enemies. And so for Israel, they are hopeless. Right? They say, we've been cut off. There's no hope here. There's no life here. Right? And they're kind of buried in despair and depression. Right? But what we see in the text here is that it's not as bad as they think. Right? I mean, in one sense, yes, it's terrible. But in the other sense, what we see is that, that God is up to something. Right? Verse, verse 3, God kind of like tips his, his hand a little bit. Right? And, he says, and, and he said to me, talking to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? It's almost like God is prompting Ezekiel. He's like, do you think I can do anything with this? Right? And, it, and at first, Ezekiel's response kind of seems like one of sarcasm. Like, I don't know. Do you know? Right? But, but really what we see as you read on is that, no, Ezekiel's answer to the question was just this admission of faith. Right? God saying, can these bones live? And Ezekiel saying, that's up to you. God, if there's going to be life here, you're going to do it. You can do it. Right? And that's, that's, what, that's what happens here. Right? We see God bringing hope where there is no hope. And by the way, this is what he's done at every stop in our series so far. Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Everything looks awful. Right? And then there's that glimmer of hope in Genesis 3.15 where God promises to Adam and Eve there's going to be an offspring the offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent, delivering you from sin and death and the grave. Right? We saw it at Mount Horeb when the people of Israel were uh, enslaved and oppressed in Egypt. And God shows up and he delivers them. He brings hope to a situation that was hopeless. Two weeks ago when they were in exile, we saw another promise from God where uh, we looked at the verses in Jeremiah where God says, yes, you're in exile. You're going to be here for a while. Right? You're not just passing through. You're going to spend about 70 years here. But I promise I will deliver you and I will bring you, uh, bring you out for your good and for your welfare. And so all along, what we've seen God doing in each one of these places is bringing hope where there is no hope. And this is what we see here, right? That God's going to bring hope where there is no hope. And we, we just read through it. Right? You've got this valley full of bones and then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy, and Ezekiel prophesies, and the bones start to assemble. Right? And they kind of come together, and they lay uh, the, the ligaments and the, uh, the skin all upon them. And then Ezekiel pro God tells Ezekiel to prophesy again, and he prophesies, and the breath comes into them. And I love what it says in verse 10. It says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What was once a valley of dry bones, just a heap of bones, now stands as an exceedingly great army. 
What once was this place of just despair and hopelessness and depression is now a symbol of strength and power. How does that happen? It's not because of anything awesome in Israel. Right? We know up to this point, all they have done is spurned God's gracious, graciousness and, and patience and kindness and provision. Right? That's the story of most of the Old Testament is God showing how good he is and then Israel kind of turning their back on God. Right? We, just back and forth. Right? They're, they're hot and they're cold. They're yes and they're no. They're, no, we won't sing that song. Uh, I'm sorry, that's just how my mind works. Uh, right? So... But what we see here is that that God brings, takes what is a a hopeless situation and brings hope. A valley of dry bones is now stands as an exceedingly great army. All right? And here's how. Because God is better than you think. Right? It's worse than you think. It's not as bad as you think. But ultimately, God is better than you think. So look at verses 12 through 14. So God says, therefore prophesy and say to them, so to Israel, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord." I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. So Israel in exile because of their own sinful choices. Right? By all objective measures, they have forfeited the land that God gave them. They're not deserving of it. Right? Again, time and time again, they've turned their backs on God. They've pursued other uh, false gods. Right? They've mixed worship with these false, phony, fake gods with the worship of the real God, right? They've broken God's heart. They've profaned his name, right? By all objective measures, they don't deserve to be restored to their land. And yet God shows up, right? And he still says, I will bring life where there is no life. I will bring hope where there is no hope. I will restore what is broken, I will redeem what is lost. This is what God promises to do again and again and again. Right, and I love that he doubles down on it in verse 14. Right, he, says, he says all these things he's going to do, and then he says, I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Right, God declares all this good news, and he's just like, hey, I'm going to do it because I'm God. I've said I'm going to do it, my word will not be broken. I'm going to do it. Right? I think there's, as I just kind of thought about what does this mean for us, right? Where God brings hope, where there's no hope, and life, where there's no life. And I think one of the clearest pictures of this in Scripture is in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. I mean, you guys know it, but if you don't, here's the gist of it. You've got, uh, it's, a, it's a, a parable, Right? So Jesus makes up this story to teach a point. But you've got a father with two sons. The youngest says, hey, I want my portion of the inheritance now. Right? Which is essentially him saying, dad, I wish you were dead. 
because you didn't get the inheritance until the father died. So the son says, I want part of my inheritance now. And he goes off and he wastes it all in reckless living. Right? He squanders it. Gets to this low point in his life where there's no hope. Right? It says he's a famine on the land and he's starving. He doesn't even have food to eat. And he has this, this moment where he says, what if I go back to my father? Maybe at the, at the very least, he'll hire me as one of his servants. Because at least the servants have food. At least the servants have shelter. At least the servants have what they need to survive. So I'm going to go back to dad and I'm going to say, dad, I don't expect you to bring me back into the family. Just hire me as a servant. And so he goes. But what we, we find out is that the whole time he was gone, the father's been waiting for his return. Because the text says that while he was a long way off, while the son was a long way off, that means dad's been watching for him. He sees the outline of his son on the horizon and he runs and he greets him. And the son has this uh, sort of apology. He's got it rehearsed. I imagine the long journey home. He's been thinking, all right, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Before he has a chance to even ask to be a servant, before he has a chance to even ask to be, uh, right, just, God, I don't even want to, or Father, I don't even want to be called a son, right? Just hire me back into your service. Before he even has a chance to rehearse this speech before his dad, his dad throws the best robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, puts sandals on his feet, and he welcomes him home. And I love what the text says. I think it's verse 24 where he says, the father says, it is, we're going to throw a party. This is not literal translation. We're going to throw a party. We're going to celebrate because my son that was once dead is now alive. Right? My son that was once lost is now found. Right? Is, is this not what we see? The story of Israel. Right? There's no hope. They've been cut off. In this text, time and time again, we got this idea that Israel's dead without hope. And then God says, no, I'm going to bring life where there's no life. I'm going to bring hope where there's no hope. I'm going to restore what has been broken. I'm going to redeem what has been wasted. Right? This is what God does because God is better than you think. All the son wanted was to be a servant. And the father says, you're a son. Get in here. What was true for Israel, what was true for the son in the prodigal story is true for us. Right? So we started this morning in, in the valley. And I hope as we leave here, what you see is that God is the one who brings us out of the valley and restores us right? and redeems us and brings hope and brings life. And so there's the only, the only way that happens is through Jesus, through the good news of the gospel. Right? And there's this quote I came across this week. This is from uh, a man named Tim Keller. If you don't know who he is, he's basically like the Christian Yoda. I'm not kidding. I didn't make that up. I've heard somebody else refer to him as that. This is, this is his quote. Listen to this. The gospel is this. That we are more sinful 
and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. In other words, it's worse than you think. And yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. It's worse than you think, but it's better than you think. It's worse than you think, but God is better than you think. So, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to kind of approach the descent here. Um, But I'm going to address two people, right? Two types of people in the room. The first one is this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never trusted in Jesus, what I want you to know is that your condition is far worse than you think. Apart from Jesus, you never trusted in Jesus, you are hopeless. Scripture would say that you are dead in your sins and your trespasses. There is no life there. Your condition is worse than you think. And like Paul said in Ephesians, you are deserving of God's wrath, children of wrath. But the good news is that when you place your trust in Jesus, all of that wrath Jesus absorbed for you. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. So the first three verses were him talking about how we're dead in our sins and our trespasses, we're deserving of wrath. But in verse 4, it changes. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. So if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus. What I want you to know is your condition is worse than you think, but that God is better than you think. And he's willing to redeem and restore and bring life where there is no life and bring hope where there is no hope. And all that you have to do is put all of your trust in him to agree with him that you are a sinner and that you have fallen short and that you are deserving of wrath, but believing that Jesus absorbed that for you. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you just got questions, and here in a moment we're gonna sing. If you wanna talk about that, I would love to have that conversation with you. Even after service is dismissed, if you wanna talk, would love to have that conversation with you about what it means to put your trust in Jesus. But the other, so that was the first person I wanted to address, but the other person is this. If you're here and you are a Christian, what I want you to know is that God is better than you think. He's better than you think. So maybe you're here and you've strayed, you've wandered, you've rebelled, your heart is just hardened, you've sinned, you've broken God's heart, what I want you to know is that God is better than you think. Maybe you even feel hopelessness, maybe you even feel despair, maybe you even feel like, I don't even know what to do right now with my life because I've made such a mess out of it. God is better than you think. He's watching for your return. He delights to restore his children. 